Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> We're tonight's entertainment. Look at my butt. Now look at my front butt. You know, what's the 
the the fight scene in Kill Bill uh, where they're out in the snow, uh, Lady Snowblood. I stole this from Lady Snowblood. Like he will openly admit that he stole various scenes and various ideas from other movies. But when you ask him about uh, City on Fire, he's like, never seen it. Don't even know what it is. Like bullshit. Reservoir Dogs is a remake of City on Fire, you know? Like, no doubt about it. <laughs> there have been a remake of City on Fire. Because, like I said, yep. before we got to see it, all of them was like, oh, I think City on Fire is a great movie. It's a masterpiece of the original Firelands Tarantino has one gift that they can't touch, and they're pissed off about that, and then he has the gift of dialogue. Right? <laughs> like, who else can make a five-minute scene out of him talking about whether it's right to tip or not? And Madonna's big fucking pussy. And turn out gold. Well, I mean, really, look at Bonnie Hilden, which who produced the uh, Red Park Dogs. Uh, yep. Who ain't Black Dog is every car chase movie that we know, but it's great. Right? Uh, yeah, she, she passed away, though, right? Bonnie Hilden's a guy. Oh, I thought you were talking about, uh, you cut out for a minute there, so I thought you were talking about, uh, about Bonnie, the, the woman who, uh, was like a co-producer on a bunch of Tarantino films, who I think passed away while oh, they were I'm making Oh, I'm because he hasn't had a good editor since then. Between both Benson and Jackie Brown, he had five films. Come out. Who did he start in? Three that basically come from his friends. Yep. Uh, the first is my best friend's uh, birthday. Which yeah, no one would even remember the motherfucker if it wasn't for the speech on Pop Time, which is definitely gold. Yeah, exactly. Uh, even as a huge Tarantino fan, the only reason I could recommend my best friend's birthday is because it does feature the origin of his Top Gun monologue, which I believe he later delivers in uh, Destiny Turns on the Radio. Is that is that when that actually came to fruition? Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, but... Yeah, it it was Tarantino's first film, and it definitely shows his flair for fighting, which we talked about last week. Um, you know, a lot of people don't give Tarantino the appreciation that he deserves for for writing, which I say almost ironically, because the only Oscar that Tarantino has is for best original screenplay. But um, but yeah. Uh, but 
Yeah, my my bet my best friend's birthday. Uh, for people who don't know the story, it was Tarantino's first film, and uh, apparently there was a fire at the uh, place where they were developing the film. This was kids. Once upon a time, they used to shoot movies on this thing called film. All right, Google it. It was a thing. I'm not making this up, but uh, but yeah. So there was a fire at the at the processing plant and they lost 50% of the footage. So the movie's less than half. It's less than 40 minutes long and it's really not worth your time unless you're a diehard Tarantino fan. And I am, I'm a diehard Tarantino fan as everyone who listens to our show knows, but, uh, yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah, at least watch the Top Gun scene. That is, that that shows. Yeah, it it shows you where Tarantino was headed as a writer for sure. I mean, and I I can see why he reused it, Peter. Yeah, it, it it's worth but it's worth. It didn't come, yeah, it didn't come out to after Pulp Fiction, and. Because he basically just took all the credit for Pulp Fiction from Roger Avery. He yeah. He gave him his own film, Killing Chloe, which, again, really wasn't that good. You don't... What, what movie did you say again? Killing Zoe, it really wasn't that good. Oh, I, I no, I, I love Killing Zoe. I, I think that's a, I think that's a great film. I mean, I don't like the way, I don't like the climax of the film. I think the final battle, uh, between Eric Stoltz and uh, the, the head gangster, I think is filmed in a really shitty way, and I. I, I don't understand why Roger Avery went with that um, filming and technique. And doesn't even fucking get Right? Yeah. But uh, I, 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 I do like, there are a lot of little touches that I like in Killing Zoe. I, I think it, I don't think it's a bad film. Um, but yeah, we talked about this. We We've talked about this before where it, again, uh, since the point of tonight's show is being about how Pulp Fiction kind of uh, opened this umbrella where everyone decided they could make a gangster film, uh, uh, you know, yeah, Killing Zoe has a bunch of guys in black suits just like Reservoir Dogs, Pulp Fiction style, but um, I, I, I think it was an interesting experiment uh, it was, you know, like, unlike Reservoir Dogs, it actually showed the bank robbery in real time. That was kind of the whole point of the movie. Um, the, the dialogue was... Oh, that is the dialogue was... really great. That could have been Roger Avery's fuck you to Tarantino. 
It's funny because you know what? Until right now, I never put two and two together, but we were just talking about uh, Tarantino's Top Gun speech in that he originally put in uh, My Best Friend's Birthday and yeah. then uh, again in Destiny Turns on the Radio. I never put two and two together, but that's right. Tony Scott did direct Top Gun. And, uh, yeah, I agree with you 100%. Tony Scott is, uh, uh, I don't know, he's a 50-50 director for me. Um, I, I, I think I think one of the one of the things is that, you know, you know, you and I are similar, you know, we're close in age. So growing up in that time, you know, a movie like Top Gun was like, wow. But, you know, we were teenagers, like, no, you know, I young. I like Top Gun as a teenager. So uh, I about everything you said about the gay commendations. I'll be your wingman. <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, of but course, yeah, Top Gun. Yeah, go ahead. Well, of course. Of course, Top Gun has become, like, ingrained in pop culture because so many, you know, TV shows have spoofed the volleyball scene. Um, you know, that's – so it it retains its uh, relevance, but – and now they're making a new Top Gun movie, so uh, it'll be f- yeah. with us forever. So um, – but I really like True Romance. I I I actually think uh, I think True Romance. I I think True Romance is probably the best Tarantino movie that Tarantino didn't direct. And I think I mean, try to give it a better title. I mean, yeah. the bad is you are a and you're not a. Alabama. 
when when James Gandolfini beats the shit out of Alabama, and then you know <laughs> he's like, "Are you fucking kidding me? The money was under the bed the whole time," and then she said. She gets the corkscrew after all of the other shit that they've already done. <laughs> she grabs the corkscrew. <laughs> she grabs the corkscrew and says, "All right, give it to me one time, baby. Your best shot." And she jams it into his shoe and then smashes the fucking toilet bowl uh, oh, yeah. cover over his head. But, Holy shit! Yeah. That's some that's some but brutal violence. After that, it was like. You mean you wanted to fucking dead the whole time? And then, yeah, I was. <laughs> and then they just start laughing. That's not what you expected. You know. Yeah. But, but yeah, um, I think there's something telling about the fact that, um, you know, as the only, if you buy that uh, 20 years of Quentin Tarantino box set, that's the only movie that's in there that uh that he didn't direct. He he put that he put True Romance as part of his twenty years box set in there. Uh it's the only movie so, he's ever done a commentary to for. Well no yeah. Show where um, 
there there's a foundation that uh, it, it's a uh, it's for the imminent death syndrome. So literally, a person can live up to 50 years with the threat of death looming over them at any time. So we as a society need to support them and 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 make them feel desired and at one point uh bob odenkirk's character is listing off all of the people who suffer from imminent death syndrome and he says uh quentin tarantino uh the actor not the director and i that I, even after all these years that still kills me because uh yeah i hate quentin tarantino as an actor but like you said that's that's bring it back around full circle that scene where he lays out the money in, in four rooms is probably the only scene I've ever watched him in where I was like, yeah, well, this guy does have the capacity to act. Apparently he just chooses not to use it. I, I don't know. Like yeah, he's my least favorite part of Pulp Fiction. That's for sure. Like, <laughs> but yeah. And now we going to the worst film that, and I don't know why this movie is loved so much and the two main characters are loved so much. But besides the soundtrack, I do not like natural born killers. Well, besides the soundtrack and Rodney Dangerfield. Yeah, right. Rodney yeah. Dangerfield is scary as crap in that one scene he's in the movie. Yeah. He yeah, he's definitely the best thing about the movie. Uh, and like you said, I do love the soundtrack. Um but I think I think we talked about this uh on another episode of the show where um I think we talked about it last week or the week before actually when we were just talking about good yeah. good from the 90s from 94 um yeah i have a copy of the natural born killers soundtrack a uh, uh, screenplay rather and uh i have the soundtrack as well but uh the natural born killers screenplay and it's it's a very different film and as much as i like oliver stone as a filmmaker i i, I think he went he just went way too far with that, you know, away from well, the original. Well, the extras on his disc, they talk about basically doing the whole movie while tripping on wheat, uh, tripping on mushrooms. You can see so that. I mean, a lot of stuff makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I mean, there's a whole scene in the movie where Mickey and Mallory trip on peyote and wander through the desert. Uh, I'm thinking that probably they actually were tripping on peyote and walking through the desert. I mean, desert, that, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, just a couple of weeks ago when we were on the air uh, with Vicky, I told you guys I was tripping on mushrooms while we were on the air and uh, yeah, uh, as someone who, as a 50-year-old man, still uh, eats mushrooms, I can tell you, uh, Natural Born Killers was definitely made by people who were tripping at the time or wanted to give you the impression yeah, that one they were. Of those when they uh, said it like it's some big revelation. We made Natural Born Killers on 
mushroom on drugs. And I was just sitting there. Oh shit. Have you ever really have you, have you ever watched Natural Born Killers own weed? <laughs> it's one of those it's one of those no. things. Yeah.
display of violence in the last five minutes, but that's the last five minutes. Aside from the fist fight that Brad Pitt gets into when he's at the Spawn Ranch, uh, the rest of the movie is just total, like, Tarantino just showing off all of the tricks that he's got in his bag, you know? Like, how well he can direct scene, how well he can write a scene, you know? And, And you and I talked about this when we did our Tarantino show, is that people, you know, people forget that Tarantino, he's a stylish director, but he's also a really great writer, you know? And yeah. uh, and I think, you know, that for, for me, that's an important part of it because as much as I love Scorsese, who we should tip a hat to, we're talking about post-Pulp Fiction uh, gangster movies. But, you know, without Scorsese, we would never have had a a Tarantino. But I've never considered Scorsese to be much of a writer. He's he's a great director. He he has an eye for the the visual, uh, you know, aspects of of a film. But he's not much of a writer. He usually leans on someone else's screenplay to, to prop him up. You know, and and, yeah. and it's with with great results. I mean, he's made he's made a ton of great movies, but he's not much. Yeah, well, he's you not think much. there would be uh, let's see, Shutter Island would be as good as he had if Sam Fuller hadn't made his movie before. No, I. I mean, as soon I, as uh, Shutter Island showed up, and they said. Soon it was like maybe the first one in the fucking movie where uh uh DiCaprio looks over to his partner and goes, Well, Griff, you're my new partner. I'm like, Griff <laughs> And I was like, Oh shit, this is gonna be a a fuller film and it was Yeah. Yeah. And of course uh, was a Sam Fuller too, because uh, the Hateful Eight pretty much is uh, his Sam Fuller film. Yeah, I, I, I can see that, but um, and I, and I'm not gonna be. This isn't gonna be mind blowing. I'm not the first one who's ever mentioned this, but to me. The Hateful Eight feels more like uh, John Carpenter's version of The Thing. And, you know, not just well, because of the... the music. Uh, yeah, a lot of it, yeah, I was going to say... Is, uh, the started music from uh, probably with a lot of the fans that they were expecting another frenetic, fast-paced, pulp fiction. They were getting already when dusk till dawn he had slowed the pace down cause really if you're watching dusk till dawn shit don't happen for an hour yeah I wish the trailer yeah. for that would have not told the twist of the second hour cause it would have been fucking off for an hour and then all of a sudden what the fuck 
right? I mean, yeah. wouldn't it have been nice to not to know about how shit goes down in the last hour of it before it went down? To not know, then all of a sudden it just jumps up, busts you in the jaw, and you're like, "Ow, what the hell?" <laughs> and yeah, I mean, it's funny. You and I have talked about this before, and I'm not the biggest Robert Rodriguez fan, uh, but I do, I do. Again, going back, I, I think his segment of Four Rooms is the best of all of them. Although it's based on an urban legend that I've read about several times before, so not a particularly original yeah. story. But neither is Tarantino's, who's story is based on an episode of Alfred Hitchcock Presents, so whatever. But um, I I really do like From Dusk Till Dawn, and I do think it's really cool uh, the way that, yeah, they lure you in with what you think is a Tarantino story with, oh, two dudes in black suits robbing liquor stores and oh, it's going to be a gangster movie, and then they shifted into high gear in the second half, and I am not a fan of vampire shit at all. I I could give a shit less. I like monster movies, but vampires, which aren't real vampires, which are just crazy motherfuckers, you never know how they're going to get killed. Right, right. (laughs) Yeah. So... Uh, but I, but, I do yeah, like from the, But the trailers were just dying to get mad up. They're like, oh, God, we got to tell them we're vampires. No, the movie play better. They don't tell them. Oh, we got to tell them. They won't come and watch it. Yeah, right? It, it's funny. Uh, so, uh, Abby and I were talking the other day, and, you know, we were talking about how. It, it's so different nowadays the way that they that they trim trailers like it's almost like they're trying one trailer to court the male audience and another trailer to court the female audience like they they want everyone in the theater or you know yeah. by you know but but they're not you know they're they're showing you two different sides of the same movie to try to get every everyone obviously not in the theater but you know like so so when Abby and I sit down to try to pick a movie to to watch on Netflix or rent off of Fandango or whatever you know I'm like well this one looks good to me and she's like well this one looks good to me too and then we watch it and I'm like that's not the movie I thought I was getting and she's like that's not the movie I thought I was getting and it's like yeah Yeah. it's just so you know like it's just weird the way that they do like uh, love actually right when I watched it my first I was like that's not the movie I thought I was going to get thank god <laughs> but yeah, I right. Mean, Dusk of Dawn is good, but yeah, I don't understand why the trailers and Miramax were so eager to give up the twist of it. Yeah, but yeah, after we had gotten well, there's still a lot more we haven't touched, like uh, Love in the Forty Five. 
Tarantino says yeah. this is the best of the movies that ripped him off. I'm like, no, this movie is crap. Yeah, I I, I know when we initially uh, decided on our theme for tonight, uh, Love in a 45 was the first one that you came up with. And, yep. I agree with you 100%. I don't know what Tarantino sees in this movie because I fucking hate it. I think it's a piece of shit. Uh, it's so forgettable. Like, it, it it's just a, yeah, it's that's a drop. It. Yeah. It's a drop in the pond, it's man. Funny, like, me it's, and you tried to make a Tarantino ripoff but we didn't know how to write the dialogue, right. some action, and we couldn't get actors worth of shit. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it th- This movie actually, like you, like you said about, uh, I mean, not being able to, to film action, this movie is one of the first films I remember – that started it, it it may not have started the trend but it's one of the first movies that i really remember thinking to myself uh this guy does not know how to direct an action scene because everything is just filmed in close up but uh you know the the thing about it is uh the director had actually done action films before. So I don't know if, uh, if, if he was just trying to start like a, maybe trying a new technique or something. But um, I, whenever I see an action film where all of the action is filmed close up and, and sloppy, I'm just like, this person doesn't know how to direct an action scene, you know, like, I yeah, I don't think I don't think that's a controversial. I don't think that's a hot take. I mean, it's it's just true. Yeah. If you film, if you film all your action scenes in close up, then you don't know how to film an action scene. You and I both yeah. love, you know, you and I both love films like uh, The Raid and Old Boy, where the action scenes are filmed from far away and really show you the depth and the, you know, the depth of the action yeah. rather than, yeah, you know, I mean. And old boy knew how to keep his gut punch hidden until it happened. I mean, yeah, but and then there's Truth of Consequences, New Mexico, which was uh, Heather Sutherland during his dry period going, Oh God, let me make one of these and please let it be good. Please let, be good. Please let me get a rub off of this. And it wasn't good. I I actually like uh I like I like truth and consequences in New Mexico to some degree. I think it's I think it's too long for one. Uh they could have wrapped it up way sooner than they did. Um so I I don't I don't dislike it 100%, but you know it's not a movie that I would own a copy of or that I would, uh, yeah. you know, it's not well, a movie that I would think own copies of Love in the 45. <laughs> Fully no one. 
I think this show yeah. might be the first time it's been talked about, and I don't know how many freaking years. Right. There, there's someone listening to the show right now that's like, "Holy cow! Someone else likes Truth and God. No, no, we don't like it. It's just, uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. It, it's and not a the consequences proves, yeah. But Truth the consequences, New Mexico proves one rule. If you're going to have a certain place where you're going to hide the money, don't fucking shoot the place for no reason 20 times during the movie. Or we might actually think they got something hit there because they're showing it too damn much. <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, like the doghouse where the money's hidden. They show that doghouse thing. I do agree with you that it's not the best movie, and like I said, it it, it feels like like a Lord of the Rings kind of ending where you're just like, okay, we get it, it's over, we get it, okay, ah, uh, no, I guess it's not over, all right, we get it, oh no, still not over, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I don't think it's a horrible movie, but again, it's highly forgettable, you know, like no one. You're right. No one owns a copy of it. No one watches it on a regular basis. I guarantee it's no one's favorite movie of all time. That's for sure. I mean, it is what it is. Yeah. And speaking of good ones, which was basically, it's set in the same Tarantino universe as Jackie Brown. It is out of sight. I love that movie. Good. Yeah, Out of Sight was really good. Don Cheadle steals that fucking movie. He has a line (laughs) which I've basically used all my life since I watched the movie with you. My ass may be dumb, but I ain't a dumbass. (laughs) Yeah, Don Cheadle was on a streak right there because uh, he he did uh, Boogie Nights. And out of sight, and yeah, he's a great actor anyway, but yeah, um, out of sight, you and I were talking about this before we went on the air tonight, and yeah, out of sight definitely exists in some way in the Tarantino universe because it's also part of the whole, uh, yeah, Elmore Leonard. Yeah, Jackie Brown and and that stuff. Um, yeah, and but what we're talking about. Uh, uh, Batman and Michael Keaton plays the same character in Jackie Brown and Out of Sight, which features the character of Cisco, who starred in their own show. Uh, yeah, I I totally forgot until you mentioned that. I totally forgot that Michael Keaton does play the same character in Jackie Brown as he does in Out of Sight. I totally forgot about that. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, who who directed Out of Sight? Was that Barry Sonnenfeld? Uh, yeah. The middle part of the which was underneath. 
forgotten one. Out of sight, which is great, in the lining, which is also fucking great. And I would oh, call yeah. it a movie where Soderbergh is trying to copy Tarantino, but he copies the good side of it. Yeah. How yeah, does the, Tarantino um, ever work with uh, who stars in lining? How come Tarantino has a work with Terrence Stamp? I would kill to see Terrence Stamp get down with some uh, Tarantino dialogue. Yeah, yeah, he would. I, I, I'm surprised that I'm surprised that Stamp has never worked with Tarantino too, because he seems like a perfect choice for the, like, you know, tough guy gangster type. You know, again, as we've talked about before. Uh, Tarantino seemingly has moved away from the gangster stuff more. I mean, obviously he's been doing his, his, you know, world war two dramas and his Westerns, but I, I think, I think Terrence Stamp could, could have, you know, played a cool cowboy. He, he could still, he could still rock it. Like, you know, he doesn't yeah. have to play but the gangster the guy. Out of the three that I just mentioned, which one do you think is the one that we're seeing the most? If you're a Tarantino fan, uh, out of sight, the limey, or the underneath? Because all three of them are great. Yeah, I mean, they they all have. I mean, the limey, I think, is probably the most Tarantino esque, but Barry Sonnenfeld worked. Uh, for anyone who doesn't know, he worked as a cinematographer for the Coen brothers for many, many years before he started directing films. And I may be incorrect. I may be incorrect about this, but I think the first feature film that he directed on his own was the Adams family movie. So, uh, so he yeah, has the kind of a, family. yeah. So he, he has kind of a humorous, streak. I mean, the limey even starts off with, with like a big joke, right? They like that it starts off with the, the rock rolling down the hill and and uh squishing the, the mob boss, right? Is that's that's the beginning of the limey, right? And then uh, I can't remember I haven't seen it for a long time, but I I think the limey is probably the most in tune with uh with Tarantino. Uh but yeah, I, I I would say the Limey is probably my favorite of the three you mentioned. Yeah. Yeah. I mean just that one scene where he where he you see him by that big gigantic freaking magnum and then when he gets beat up by the bad guys, they pull out the magnum, you're like, Oh God, he's in trouble and then the next thing it does is show him laying on the ground and pulling out this tiny little pistol and then going <laughs> out and just tearing crap up, but they don't show it. Right. Are you, you're just waiting outside. You're like, screw this. I don't want to go inside. I don't want to be part of this. Then you just hear bang, bang, bang. And then he comes out and says the line, tell him I'm fucking coming. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. 
think uh yeah, I, I think you're right. We can we can land on a on a definite agreement on this one. Terrence Stamp needs to be in whatever last film Tarantino directs. If he's still alive. Is Terrence Stamp even still alive? I, I, I think so. I'm not sure. Yeah, I haven't checked yeah. up on him in a while. I have he hasn't been in movies for a, a while, but I mean Neither has Anthony Hopkins, but I know he's still alive, you know. And also on this list they have a, oh, God, we got to get this one out of the way, which a lot of people consider the worst of the ripoffs, even worse than Love and 45. But the sad thing is based on a good Warren Zevon song. I love the Warren Zevon song, but the movie tries too freaking hard. <laughs> and that's things to do in Denver when you're dead. <laughs> it's funny that you brought that up because it was the next one on my list as well. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, damn hard. Yeah. It, I mean, it it might as well just say, you know, like inspired by a story by Quentin Tarantino should be in the fucking credits for this movie. I mean, yeah, yeah. It, it it's there are only a couple of things that I like about this movie. Um, I like the whole um, uh, the scene where. Uh, they talk about the hitman who goes in or the, the cleaner who goes in after the hitman and cleans everything up. I can't remember who plays it. Is it Steve Buscemi who plays the guy yeah, who goes Buscemi. in and yeah. And he, and he strips the carpet and pulls everything out of the house. Really? Like they do it in like a very stylistic way to show, uh, you know, oh, he's he's a badass. You don't want to mess with this guy. You know, I saw him go yeah. in and do da da da. Yeah, that, that, that that's a cool so thing. Much that when it's seen, you're kind of disappointed. Right. I was expecting I like someone like uh, the Dane from fucking Miller's Crossing. Right. Right. Yeah. I do like that scene from things to do in Denver when you're dead. And there's one other thing about it that it's not necessarily something that I like, but my friend Zach and I, um, my friends, we, we kind of like fight club, like not, not real like fight club type of shit, but we wrestle around a lot when we get drunk together. And, Whenever my friend Zach, whenever my friend Zach pins someone to the ground, he always yells the famous Treat Williams line from that movie: "I am Godzilla, you are Tokyo." <laughs> yeah, Treat Williams is great in that movie. It's like he's like, I know that I'm never going to get this kind of chance again, so I'm just going for it. Yeah, I don't even think I don't even think he's been in another movie since then. I I 
I can't yeah. think of another movie that I, I haven't seen Treat Williams in another movie since then. Again, yeah. Stephen, checking on these actors, there there may be more dead actors out there than we realize. Yeah. And Andy Garcia and Gabrielle Anwar sleepwalk through this movie. I mean, if they started snoring during this movie, I would not be shocked. Right. Right. <laughs> We're pretty. That's all we need to do. Yeah. I kind of feel the same way, and I don't know if this movie is on your list, but uh, Two Days in the Valley. I, That's nice. I, 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 yeah. Yeah. I kind, of feel, I kind of feel like everyone was sleepwalking through that movie, and... Again, it was another like. You mean like, you post- notice something in this movie besides Charlie Theron? It was probably one of her hottest, mo- hottest moments in her life. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I noticed. <laughs> and That's thinking, all you wow, James Spader should have been in a better movie. Right. This was like a studio Tarantino film. Yeah. It definitely got the green light because of Pulp Fiction and they I would not be at all surprised to find out that they brought in some ringers to punch up the script to make it more Tarantino. Like, you know you know, scripts scripts um, fly around Hollywood from studio to studio and people are like, yeah, nah, this one's not for us. This one's not for us. It would not surprise me at all to find out that somebody that landed on somebody's desk and they were like, Oh, we just put everybody in black suits and uh, you know, a little more gunplay. This could be a Tarantino movie. You know, it's, Oh, and speaking of, there's one of the more interesting movies that, if you didn't know that uh, Tarantino had ghostwritten Crimson Tide, would you think that he would have had something to do with the script? No, I mean, I know that I know that he was one of the the writers that you know that worked on it, but. Uh, do you have a specific scene in mind that, that you think? Where Denzel Washington and what's his name were talking about comic books. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I never really, I never yeah, really thought I mean, about that. It's still a Michael Bay movie, but you can just still, still see like little fingerprints. And it's sad yeah. that People forget, or they don't want to forget, that no one except the very, very, very hardcore liked Jackie Brown when it came out. It was his first really big flop, which so bad that he retired for, was it like five or six years before Kill Bill came out? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Kill Bill came out and. I think Kill Bill came out in 2003, I believe. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah Jackie Brown. Yeah. yeah. 
I have a funny story about Jackie Brown, actually. It came out uh, up here uh, in the, you know, up up north here, probably everywhere. It was probably released, wide released, but it came out on Christmas Day up here. And being a huge Tarantino, you know, being a huge Tarantino fan, all I wanted to do was go see Jackie Brown in the theater and I wanted to see it on opening day. And my parents are big, uh, big Christmas fans. So we get up super early on Christmas. We open our presents, we have our breakfast and then, you know, the rest of the day is yours to do with what you will. And I was dating this girl and I called her up and I said, "Hey, uh, I'm gonna go to the movies." Yeah, you told us before uh, that she wanted to uh, give you a handy. You're like, "I'm trying to watch the movie here." Exactly. Yeah, yeah. We got to the movie theater. We were the only two in the theater, and yeah, I was so engrossed in trying to watch the movie, and she was like, "Let's make out. Let me give you a handy." I was like, "No." I need to watch the new Tarantino movie. Come on. Yeah. What's funny yeah. is when I went to see it, I was the only one laughing when after uh, Samuel Jackson put the guy in the trunk and then they turned around the corner. And yeah. I laughed because I knew what was up as soon as they turned the corner to just the alley right next to the corner. And everyone else was like, what the hell's going on in here? I don't understand this. <laughs> right? And I I'm actually, like, yeah, I do. Bang, bang, bang. I still think that of of all Quentin Tarantino movies, I still think that the the direction on that is one of the best things he ever he ever did. I mean. I don't know how much money he had to spend on that crane shot, but it was worth every dime because that is that's a beautiful shot. The way the camera and pulls I love back, the fact that, and it plays better even now that we're older. That Jackie Brown is is for old is an old person's movie for older people. Who can relate yeah. to the fact that Jackie Brown's like, yeah, I can. Look good. I got a big ass than I used to. Uh, right. And then you had Porsche talking about, yeah, well, I got a lot less hair on top than I used to. <laughs> right. Yeah. I, 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 again, we talk about this, this stuff all the time when it comes to um, my, my disassociation between my movie by a director and what I think is their best film and we always talk about Pulp Fiction being my favorite Quentin Tarantino movie but I think Jackie Brown is his most accomplished film it's it's very well paced and it's um, the acting is spectacular the direction is great yeah. um, you know I know he's getting more ambitious. Obviously his next film was Kill Bill. And then he did Kill Bill volume two, which I don't care as much for, but, but then, you know, yeah, the hateful eight and, um, you know, 
Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and Django. Those are all great films. Inglorious and really Bastards. Inglorious Bastards. They're all great films, and they're really ambitious. But, uh, like, okay. you know, like, Jackie Brown seems like it's really a meditation on filmmaking itself, you know? Like 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 yeah. we were talking about earlier, some, some of these, like, more hyped-up rip-offs of Tarantino, you know? Uh, yeah. Jackie Brown seems like – Jackie Brown seems like – Tarantino himself stepped back and was like, okay, I can make a mellow film that focuses on the yeah, acting. It was and like a coda to all them black exploitation 70s action films that we loved in the 70s. It was like, what if yep. those guys that you loved in your 70s and black exploitation films got old? Right. They got yeah. this next one on the list, which I call both on the list here that I'm going off of that I call bullshit. And that's John McNaughton's A Normal Life. Oh, yeah. John was making true crime movies before freaking Tarantino was out. You gonna call the guy yeah. who made uh, Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer when he makes another true crime movie? And A Normal Life is a great film, people. If you haven't seen it yet, you need to. Yeah, it's definitely, uh, you know, I think the reason why it kind of falls by the wayside when people are discussing, uh, you know, cinema, and you're right, John McNaughton was an amazing, he's always been an amazing director, and yeah, Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer is one of the best true crime movies you're ever going to watch, uh, fair warning to anyone who hasn't seen it you gotta have a strong stomach to sit through it it features everything from uh murder to incest but whatever uh uh i think the reason why uh why a normal life falls by the wayside is because uh luke perry was was the you know the star of it and we're talking about um you know 90210 era Luke Perry or you know it was around that same time so I think a lot of people kind of shrunk it off now thinking oh yeah Luke Perry 90210 haha whatever I don't give a shit you know but um but yeah no that that movie is really intense and I don't know how much it really owes to the success of Tarantino um, per se, it's definitely a violent crime thriller based on a true story. But um, yeah, I, I don't know if I would really put that one on the like the list. Maybe yeah, I'm like, eight. come on, you're you're in there. It's like, oh, it's yeah. a crime film. Let's be real, You're reaching. This next one is reaching because. Tarantino never did anything as insane and fucked up as Freeway. I would not call this a fucking Tarantino ripoff. Right? Freeway is its own insane beast. And if you haven't seen Freeway, you need to. Because, <laughs> well, just to see... uh Keith Sutherland as the big bad wolf. 
Yeah. It'll make sense and, once you've seen the movie, but. Yeah, right. Yeah, it it is definitely, uh, for anyone who hasn't seen it, Freeway is definitely, uh, it's definitely a version of Little Red Riding Hood. Yeah, it, 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 uh, which is something that's not, might not be evident to people, you know, uh, I talk to Abby about this all the time when, you know, I watch, I watch a lot of movies when she's not around and then I, she comes home from work and I'll start ranting and raving about how people just don't know how to appreciate cinema and don't really understand what's going on. And, uh, you know, she just sighs and shakes her head. She's, she's been with me for 12 years now. So she already knows that I'm a fucking lunatic. She, she already knows I'm a lunatic when it comes to movies. And I'm like, how can you watch freeway and not realize that it's little red riding hood? Come on. Yeah. yeah. All you gotta do is fucking look at the box back of the DVD and it says this movie is a contemporary retelling of Red Hot Riding Hood. Oh, <laughs> right. You know. But yeah, but, I mean, uh, let's see. I forget who plays the girl, but she's great in it too. I uh, mean, Reese Witherspoon is just yeah. Reese Witherspoon is fucking great Reese in it. I mean, just yeah, the way Reese she says the line when uh, Keith Southern comes in the trial. Jesus, Bob, you sure do look like shit. <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, but and, you're right. This is, this, this, is, this is this this really is a slant. Uh, Tarantino ripoff because it it, uh, it doesn't really have much in common with Tarantino's uh, philosophies. It's just another it it's just another crime movie that came out around the same yeah. time. So yeah, don't but. forget uh, a big thing about Freeway and both uh, A Normal Life is that. They premiered on HBO. Already regulated them to the gutter because, oh, they're not real movies. They appeared on HBO. Yeah, we were talking about this last week, and it's so funny now to think about that. When we were talking about John Dahl's uh, films, uh, you know, uh, Red Rock West. They were on there, too. The last seduction they called... uh, uh, Tarantino uh, wannabe. I'm like, no, no, yeah, no. Again, no. That that's 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 a stretch. No, um, like we talked about last week when we were talking about it. I definitely feel like Red Rock West was the better version of the Coen Brothers. Uh, you know, uh, a simple plan. Or no, not a simple plan. Sorry, that's a, uh, uh, that's a Raimi film. Uh, Yeah, Sam Raimi film. Um, But no, we talked about this uh, last week, and it it's funny that people rejected. No, it's the next one on my list, and yeah, I wouldn't. I would not call call. Oliver Stone's U-turn, a Tarantino rip-off. It's a fucking John Dahl rip-off. Indeed. 
Indeed. I I agree. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Oh, my. Yeah. Man, you ain't, I mean, I would bet if I snuck on the set while he was filming U-Turn, I would see Red Rock West on the script marked out in Sharpie. <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I did, I did enjoy U-Turn when it came out for the simple fact that Oliver Stone seemed to kind of be reeling himself back in. I mean, you you have to remember that U-Turn came on the heels of JFK and Natural Born Killers and, you know, like, I feel like we talked. We were talking about this earlier on the show. I feel like Oliver Stone was really just getting. He was just. He was off the rails. He was just. I don't know how how much LSD he was doing, or how many mushrooms he was eating, or how much peyote he was ingesting. But his his filmmaking style was just getting manic to the point where I was losing interest. But. You turn well, JFK all the way. was made on speed. There's no way to get around it, especially uh, Joe Pesci's character. Right. <laughs> but I, I, I did enjoy U Turn at the time, um, and I, but I agree with you 100. percent That's that's not a Tarantino ripoff. That's more of a John Dahl ripoff. And again, like I said, I kind of feel like. Uh, Red Rock West was a Coen Brothers ripoff, but I will give John Dahl this. Uh, his Coen Brothers ripoff was better than the Coen Brothers movie that it seems like it's based upon. So, you know, unlike how we started this conversation, mentioning that Tarantino's Reservoir Dogs was obviously a ripoff of City on Fire, but. I like Reservoir Dogs more than City on Fire. I just don't uh I'm not going to grant uh Tarantino a pardon because he says he's never seen yeah. City on Fire. I'm I'm calling bullshit on that, but anyway. <laughs> well, if you watch both of them, you're going to you're going to keep uh, Reservoir Dogs and go City on Fire in the garbage, but here's the more and uh well, let's get the worst one out of the way first, and that would be the Boondock Saints. I don't know why this movie has a fucking cult to it. Yeah, um, I don't, I don't dislike the Boondock Saints. Um, I, I think it's a fun movie to throw in occasionally and and watch, but. Yeah, there are some things about it that I just yeah, I I I really don't like Willem Dafoe's character in the movie. Um that yeah, whole, yeah he's Dancing too here. over the top. He's over the top, man. Mm-hmm. Like he I mean, he out he out fucking Nicolas Cage's Nicolas he he out he out Nicolas Cage, Cage's Nicholas Cage, whatever Nicholas I'm trying to Cage. say. Yeah, like uh, it, you know, Nicholas Cage goes over the top sometimes, but and Willem Dafoe is usually a lot more reserved, but in Boondock Saints, he really goes over the top, and 
I mean, I'm sure that was a choice by the director, obviously. Um, I do think uh, the one thing that Boondock Saints did that was kind of interesting in the light of uh, of Pulp Fiction, uh, which is what we're talking about, is um, it messed with the timeline, but not in the same uh, not in the same way that Pulp Fiction did. Like they would show you, uh, you know, the detectives investigating what had happened and then they would rewind and show you what actually happened, which I think makes it humorous. It's funny, uh, regard, but yeah, ultimately, um, yeah, the film itself just kind of, the main characters aren't really likable. You don't really care about them. And then, Obviously, but they're spoiler macho alert. and cool, and they say cool shit. Yeah, exactly. I, I, I'm sure. I, I'm sure they improvised their lines, and the script just said "say cool shit" <laughs> or whatever. Like, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you it, can just tell there's certain movies where the whole script is "say cool shit," even where it don't belong. Yeah. Right. And you, and I mean, you know the. Uh, the director there uh, is is notoriously hated around Hollywood for the fact that he treated everyone like shit, despite the fact that you know. A movie he, about Troy Duffy is more interesting than the movie he made. Yeah, Fish in a Barrel. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's like it, he's there's scenes where he talks about. I am the coolest motherfucker in the world because I am the most genius director you will ever fucking see in your life. And they hate me because they're jealous of me. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, he's an asshole. And there's a reason why, you know, he's only ever directed a couple of films because nobody wants to work with him. And it, it, it's kind of funny because, you know, speaking of like Tarantino, when you've got directors like Tarantino and Kevin Smith, and I mean, I know this doesn't look so good in light of the recent uh, charges against Harvey Weinstein, but Tarantino and Kevin Smith, they got their deals with uh, Miramax back in the nineties and they were basically given carte blanche to do whatever they wanted. Those guys have been making movies with Miramax for years with no, no restrictions. They, they definitely had, you know, just, Hey, do whatever you want. Oh, you want, you want to make this movie? Here's the money, you know? And Troy Duffy could have had that. While Tarantino grew better and tried different things after his fan base whined and cried over Jersey Girl which was actually pretty fucking good I was the age for it when it came out yeah he played it too fucking safe well uh, as far as the Kevin Smith 
argument goes, we, we talked about this when we were talking about uh, the 90s uh, last week. Um, I, there, I, ha- I have all of Kevin Smith's movies. Um, you know, I know Kevin Smith, and I'm a fan, so I'll buy into anything that he makes. But, um, yeah, not all of his movies are great. And, and that's actually kind of a that's actually kind of a hindrance to being allowed to do whatever you want. He's directed some Where's movies your copy that of yoga hosers at. Yeah. I, I got my copy of yoga hosers right here. I haven't watched it except for the first time that I watched it. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, but there is something but, to be said about, you know, there is something to be said about studios that give directors that full, freedom to do whatever they want. You know, he's been blessed by that. But let's be honest, when uh, Kevin Smith didn't play it safe or didn't try to make an 80s comedy, he made gold. Let's see, Clerks, I love, Mallrats, Chasing A, gold. Yeah. Dogma. I, I, I liked it. The argument was good. Yeah. Um, I like the fact that he could put a de- an interesting religious margin- argument in the middle of shit monsters. Uh, I, I actually just watched Clerks yesterday when I got home from work. Uh, and, yeah, I'm not the biggest fan of Mallrats, but Chasing Amy is definitely my favorite of his flicks. And... Uh, I'm not the biggest fan of Dogma, but maybe the chip on my shoulder with Dogma, it, it is a good film. I'm not, I mean, it's, it's interesting. You're right. He does pack a lot of good ideas in there. Um, but kind of my biggest problem with Dogma is that, you know, uh, he got so much pushback from the religious community that he kind of backed down from trying to make films for himself anymore. The next thing we got was Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back, which is basically a live action cartoon. No, we got a Jersey girl. Sam just got mad that he was making adult films. He wasn't making the same stoner kid films. We don't want that. We want the same fucking films. But, you, I mean, you're there's right. a you difference mentioned... between playing towards your fan base and realizing there's going to be a time you're going to have to say, well, fuck you guys, I'm going to have to make my own movies for myself. Mm-hmm. And if you follow along, good. And if you don't, good. And It's a scary and you know thing what? to do, but... Uh, and I forgot, that, that was the rant that I was... Uh... That was the rant that I was about to go off on when I started my previous rant, but uh, not not that big a deal. But Jesus, you know me. I've been I've been doing whiskey shots and smoking weed. So uh, yeah, yeah, I agree. I, I agree with you totally that uh, Jersey Girl is a really good film, and people who shit all over it are just you know yeah just straight up haters. Um, it's the closest that Kevin Smith ever came to making a John Hughes film, and John Hughes is his idol. So, 
you know, he uh, he he made a John Hughes film. There's no doubt about it. Like Jer- Jersey Girl is a John Hughes film, and you know, Kevin Smith made it, and everyone hated on him for it because they thought it was like like you said, you know, oh, yeah, you don't you don't get to evolve as a filmmaker. No, that's not allowed. We don't. Our generation, for some reason, were afraid to grow up, and all we wanted to do was to do what you're doing, but not have to adult (laughs) while doing it. Right? Yeah. Like, you may do that shit, but you do adult. Yeah. I mean, shit, man. I still spend all my time watching movies and drinking whiskey and smoking weed and, you know, doing my stand-up comedy and shit. But uh, I still have to get up every morning and go to my day job and actually do work. And, you know, uh, like I said, I'm almost 50 years old. I say this all the time. But, yeah. I mean, I still collect action figures and comic books, and I don't want to be an adult, but that's not really my choice, is it? Uh, yeah. We got to pay the bills around here, so uh, yeah. you know. You we, we still got if, uh, just think of all of our. You're a comedian. Think of the, your two comic heroes. If they would have said, "Well, I got to play safe to make money." Would we have gotten that niggas crazy from Richard Pryor? No. <laughs> would we have gotten right. would we have gotten AMFM from uh George Carlin? No. Right. <laughs> right. And how bad would it have been if comedy really he wouldn't have really evolved from and Bob yeah. Newhart stuff is good, but and uh, the hippie dippy weatherman stuff was good, and Richard Pryor <laughs> stuff from them was good, but once they really decided to let go and be themselves, damn. Yeah, i I think I think about that all the time. Like, uh, you know when I was growing up, that was a big thing. Like, you know, uh, my, my parents were divorced and I came home from school every day and I was a latchkey kid. I had brothers and sisters. So, you know, we'd be home together and we could do whatever we wanted. Uh, you know, we had chores we had to do around the house and, you know, a little chore wheel on the side of the refrigerator. It's your turn to wash the dishes. It's your turn to vacuum the floor. But then after that, we could do whatever we wanted. Um, and my brothers and sisters would sit and watch TV. But I would go in my bedroom, break out my little uh, fold-out record player, and just listen to comedy albums, man, like, Yep, Richard Pryor, George Carlin, Bill Cosby. <laughs> no, uh, wait, uh, can, uh, can we edit that? I, 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 I was never a fan of Bill Cosby. No, no Bill Cosby was good, but a lot of his bits make a lot more sense now. When he would do that shit, and then he's like, my wife would never let me go out anywhere by myself. 
I'm like, well, why wouldn't you do that? And then all of a sudden, now you're like, oh, shit. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Bill, are, are you going out uh, tonight, Bill? Let's see. Uh, yeah. Rodney Dangerfield, rapping Rodney from the 80s. Uh, a lot of the stuff in the whole comic boom. Uh, Sam Kennison, before he decided he's just going to go for the gross-out jokes. Don't, you know, his, this is a funny thing, and I think I've mentioned this before when while we're talking about it, but I think I've mentioned this on the show before, or maybe you and I have just talked about it. Uh, like I say, I get so confused because we've done so many different podcasts together and we talk to each other online all the time that yeah. I kind of forget. But um, the when I was growing up, my parents were very permissive. They let us watch any movies we wanted. They let us uh, read any books that we wanted. They, they wanted us to, to, to uh, absorb the best of, of the world. And they didn't want to limit us to anything. But the only thing that my mother ever took away from me when I was a child uh, was a Cheech and Chong record. <laughs> she was like, nope. She was like, nope, nope, no Cheech and Chong in this house. Now here's a copy of The Shining. <laughs> go go to bed. Uh, I love Cheech and Chong's uh, album stuff. I mean, it's hilarious how... You would get the drug humor on their albums, but you would also get stuff like uh, Blind Melon Chitlin. Uh, my yeah. favorite is theirs, Cheech and Chong Go to the Drive-In. Right, right. <laughs> I think You know, there I think people I gave really myself... was like, oh, man. What? Go ahead. Oh, I, I think I gave myself away because we had a basketball hoop on the garage outside, and whenever I went out to shoot hoops, I'd walk by my mom singing, Basketball Jones! I got a basketball Jones! (laughs) She was like, what? Then she's in my room digging through my records. No way! Cheech and Chong? Not in my house! (laughs) Read this copy. (laughs) Read, Read this copy of Our Bodies Ourselves. I'd rather have you learn about female reproductivity than playing basketball and listening to jokes about weed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Tarantino's like that, too. I mean, really look at his films. He's never really made the same film. I mean, he made two gangster films, yeah, but... Would you even compare Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction as to being the same style of movie? No. No, not not at all. Um, I think Reservoir Dogs owes more to, uh, and we met, we were talking about this earlier. Reservoir Dogs owes more to the Scorsese school of gangster films uh you know even well uh, and the french and italian ones too the polizias and the cream is and uh jean-luc godard well i was gonna say don't forget Pulp the Fiction. title of uh 
Okay, let's see how smart you are. What Jean-Luc Godard movie does Reservoir Dogs get its title from? Au revoir, dogs in France. Yeah. This was <clears throat> yeah. him going. That was his mispronounced mispronunciation of okay. au revoir Los Epons. So I'm wondering how the hell did he get from au revoir Los Epons to reservoir dogs. <laughs> <laughs> but I actually I think uh I, I do agree with you that reservoir dogs has a lot of those influences but I think uh, Pulp Fiction has more of the influences from the French and the Italian, uh, uh, and you know, I think I think that's that's more of him uh, integrating everything into one film. Um, yeah. I, I, I still, you know, I mean, this is the hill I'll die on when it comes to Reservoir Dogs. It's a straight up rip off of uh, City on Fire. We talked about this earlier i did yeah uh yeah he he didn't do anything with that all he did was cut out the actual robbery scene and just film a movie that he claims he wrote which uh yeah i don't know he did i mean he did write a movie he gave it a better ending but yeah i think uh i think pulp fiction was really where he started to uh wear his influences on his sleeve without having to hide them up his sleeve, you know, like reservoir dogs. He kind of had to hide, he kind of had to hide that. And he has for years. He still claims he's never, he still claims he's seen city on fire, which we all know is bullshit. He's seen every movie ever made, but he hasn't seen city on fire. Right. Right. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, and it's funny how there's a bunch of critics, especially one that has a very popular podcast, which is very fucking good. And what do they call that place where Tyler Durden worked in the movie theater? I don't know. I don't remember. So the projection booth or something? No, it's the projection. Yeah, not not let's forget about the projection booth, but. There is a certain critic that made his entire career on, ooh, you're so cool. We're going to make you a famous film critic now amongst us geeks because you called him out. (laughs) I'm not saying this podcast isn't good. I'm just saying that, come on, man. You make your entire career on pissing on somebody. Right. It's not a porn star and it's not a golden shower video. (laughs) I like how you said, I like how you said, come on, man. Uh, That's, Abby and I have a lot of funny things that we say around the house. Like I said, we've been together for 12 years, so, you know. We we finish each other's sentences and sandwiches, but uh, that's mm. one of the things that we say to each other all the time. When some when one of us says something that the other one doesn't agree with, we're like, "Come on, man!" <laughs> I mean, you've uh, seen it. The, I forget what the movie's called, but you know, it, it was famous in the underground scene in the 
in the tape scene, uh, the one where he basically took all the scenes that Tarantino stole from uh, Reservoir Dogs, and it was called Who Are You Kidding, Tarantino? Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I've seen that. Yeah, I've seen that video on YouTube. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, uh, here's one that I wanted to talk about, uh, okay. briefly. Uh, I got one I wanted to talk about, and this one oh, was yeah. a real, dis- this, this one was a real disappointment to me. Um, I was, and I know you and I don't see eye to eye on the usual suspects. I still enjoy the usual suspects. I think it's a good film. Uh, I, and I know that it's not one of your favorites, but, um, yeah, that's it's not, good. It's just aged badly. Yeah. Yeah. And but, all of the, and uh, all of the extra in this bullshit that's around it. Right. Yeah. It, much like, uh, much like, uh, we were talking about with, um, uh, the Boondock Saints, it 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 hit it it hit the pulse at just the right time, and everybody fell in love with it. And now people have kind of fallen off. It's the same with well, you know, you mentioned Fight Club earlier. Um, there's a lot of movies that you know we talk about films that gain a cult following, but. In my mind, when you say cult following, it means a movie that nobody liked at first, and then some people eventually started yeah. to like. That's that, that's not a that's I, not. I don't know. We talked about it before. I think we have, but the word cult nowadays is don't it ain't got the meaning it used to because they're like Marvel, uh, the last one in game is a cult film. <laughs> they made a hundred, three hundred freaking million. You can't do that. A cult is a small right? group of fanatics. Yeah, the yeah. definition of cult is a small group of fanatics. It, but you and I also have another way to describe it when we talk about like, uh, you know, midnight, the midnight matinee. Like, you know, people don't think about yeah, the that midnight anymore. Movie. Yeah, people don't think about that anymore because it's not a thing anymore. But you and I still talk about it because, again, we're of similar age and we remember when that was a thing, you know? Like when you could go yeah, to a church basement. To the radio. Yeah, for us, we'd be listening to the radio and stuff and we'd hear things like, Only at Midnight, Harold and Maude. Uh, the yeah. harder they came, the Rocky Horror Picture Show, Night of the Living Dead, Eraser Head. Uh-huh. Only at midnight, Pink Flamingos. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, so anyway, the movie I wanted to talk about, which I I felt really was the downfall of the post-Tarantino era, the one that first really gave me pause was the way of the gun it was directed by oh, christopher God, yeah. and, and he he had yeah, written that one tried so hard to be cool oh uh, 
he had he had written um, the Usual Suspects, which I still, like I said, I still yeah. think was a cool flick. But then he decided to direct a movie, and oh my gosh, boy oh boy, uh, The Way of the Gun is just a train wreck from beginning to end, and it tried yeah. so hard to be a cool Tarantino style film. Yeah. yeah. I'm sorry, but if I was in a bar or in a party somewhere and someone had said to someone as a threat, you better shut her mouth up before I fuck started, I would just point and laugh at that motherfucker for saying something so stupid. I do have to say that. I do have to say that. That might be one to... Go ahead. Oh, no, I was going to say, I do have to say that is my only favorite part of, that is the only thing about that movie that I like is uh, I love Sarah Silverman and her getting punched in the face before the opening credits even start is actually fairly hilarious to me. Uh, not, Not because I, like I said, not because I dislike her. I just think that that's the only good scene in the entire movie and it happens before the credits even roll, so... Uh, but yeah, yeah. It, it's it's funny. Saying yeah. something uh, like that is just trying so hard to be too hard to be a badass. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and don't forget, uh, Smoking Aces. That's another movie that tried too hard to be a Tarantino film, like Way of the Gun. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Smoking Aces, it kind of goes along with, and um, these movies didn't necessarily suck. I do like both of them, but uh, Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels and Snatch uh, both really leaned into the Tarantino uh, style of filmmaking. They were both good films, but yeah... They just, yeah, like like you say. The best thing um, about Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels was Vinnie Jones. That but, ending where they've thrown away those two guns, and then all of a sudden he walks up to him and like, "What the fuck do you want?" And he just told him, see, and he just throws the catalog down, and they like, "You mean those guns are worth fucking forty thousand dollars?" <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he drops yeah. the guns off. Yeah, he drops the guns off the bridge. That is a that is a brilliant ending. Yeah. Uh, the funny thing about Snatch, uh, I'll tell you this: our our uh, postal carrier is a guy who's from that same region, and he talks just like Brad Pitt talks in uh, Snatch. He'll come to the door with a package and he'll be like, so I did just want his head hotel for him. And I just have, What's I just have to suck the back. The studio and Guy Ritchie fought over that hair. They wanted to put subtitles on it. And he's like, no, <laughs> we got to leave them like that. All right. Yeah. I, I've i never, that guy's been our postal carrier for like four years and I've never understood a word that he says, but he's a wicked nice guy and he always brings our packages and our mail. So I, I just go with yeah. it. I just smile and nod. 
<laughs> and another uh, one that tried too hard is, uh, well, I love the first 20 minutes of this movie because 3,000 miles to Graceland. I mean, you're like, John Leguizano, Kurt Russell, a much cool motherfucker dressing his Elvis, going to rob a... What the fuck do you mean they're dead? We're only 50 minutes into the movie and they're all fucking dead? <laughs> yeah. I I don't know. Uh, it That was... I, I almost felt like that was, uh, you know, too Wong Fu, thanks for everything, kind of like, it, it almost seemed like the same type of goofy road movie. Like, it, it didn't feel like it, uh, it didn't feel like it had a real Tarantino vibe to it. I know they were trying to go for the, they were trying to go for the, you know, let's let's rob a casino and and everything will be cool kind of vibe. But yeah, it's the script is uneven. The direction is mm, questionable. And that's another movie. I think they wrote it on cocaine. Yeah, right. I wouldn't. I, I would not. Yeah. I would not, not refuse that. I mean, it's like, I mean, it's like, it's a little like just sitting around going, oh man, what the fuck are we going to do? I know these one has these motherfuckers work with casino. Then what I got there was What now? What now? Oh, fuck yeah. Let's put, let's put the fucking Elvis costumes. Yeah, yeah. Let's get fucking great yeah, big yeah. stars in them. Yeah. Well, let's fucking kill them all within 20 minutes where you don't have to pay them for the whole film. God damn, you're good. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> right. But you know what oh, the best one is? Then they came out in the two thousands. That's the funny part. And that would be bad times at the El Royale. That movie was so much fucking better than it had any fucking right to be. It's good. Yeah. I yeah. I was actually. This is funny. I was just talking to my mom about that the other day. Uh, I was talking to my mom, and she said that she had just watched it, and she actually thought that Quentin Tarantino directed it. That's how that's how close to Tarantino that shit comes, because um, my mom bought me a Pulp Fiction t-shirt for Christmas, because she knows I'm a huge Tarantino fan, and then we were having a conversation and she was like, Oh, I just watched the new Tarantino movie the other day. And I was like, what new movie? And that's what she said. <laughs> yeah. Uh, she thought that was a Tarantino movie. So that's how, that's how far down the rabbit hole you can go. If you're not, you know, my mom is fairly pop culture savvy. So she usually knows what she's talking about, but just, that's how far down the rabbit hole you can go when someone really amps it up. And you're right. That movie, that feels like a Tarantino movie for sure. Yeah. And it is good. I mean, everyone, it just seems like everyone is fucking on spot in that movie. Right. 
I mean, I know I guess pretty much guess the twist with uh, 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 what's his name, the guy that plays the preacher. Even though they had him yeah. in a mask during his first scenes, I was like, yeah, that's him. <laughs> but I right. do love how they went back in time and you really didn't know where the hell this movie was going. I'm like, where the hell is this going? I don't know. But I like it. Yeah, I, I think that was part of the reason why my mom thought that it was a Tarantino movie was the time shift and stuff because uh, I'll never forget, uh, like I said, my mom's pretty pop culture savvy. So she catches on to things fairly easily. But the first time we ever sat down and watched Pulp Fiction together uh, with the time shift, when, you know, uh, uh, John Travolta dies, but then he's alive again at the diner, my mom was like, wait a second, didn't that guy just get shot by Bruce Willis? And I was like, yeah, that happened later after the, I don't, I don't know. I don't know how to describe it to you, Mom. It's it just, just, just ride it out. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, I do love the fact that they showed little things in the Royale, but they pay off later. You know, it's a really well-directed film. Uh, who, who, who directed that? Was that that wasn't J.J. Abrams, right? It was uh, the same guy. No. Um, who was it? I it said the, no. Forget. I'll see. I'll see in a second. Yeah, it was the dude who directed um, uh, Cabin in the Woods. I'm looking it up. That's dead air, people. That's dead. That's dead air. That's dead air, guys. Come on, we need some, Drew Goddard. some Who was it? Drew Goddard. Drew. Yeah, Drew Goddard. Drew yeah, Goddard. Yeah, he, yeah, he directed Cabin in the Woods as well. That was his. Uh, yeah. This is another great one that does that time and plot shift good. That's another one when I first watched the trailer of it, both of those films. I watched the trailer for them, I'm like, oh, this movie isn't going to be any good. And then they ended up giving me like a Bruce Lee round kick to the face. I'm like, Jesus. <laughs> right? Like the opening to Cabin in the Woods, they showed them talk, walking like this business facility talking about baby locks on doors you know and you're like what the fuck I thought this was supposed to be a movie about kids being locked up in a cabin in the woods right well we we were talking about this a couple weeks ago because we were thinking about doing uh, a show about like movie soundtracks which we never which never actually materialized but we might still do that in the yeah. future talking about how uh at the beginning of pulp fiction uh you know when a- after the opening well, that's scene we're be closing out this month with uh the best songs from Tarantino soundtrack. And right. you notice the best one of the, ter- the 
Tarantino knockoffs, the best ones, all have fucking great soundtracks. Yeah. Well, with the exception of Doug Lyman's Go. Go, which is a forgotten film, but uh, it was Doug... it, it, it was Doug Lyman's, uh, I I think it was his second film, but it rips off Pulp Fiction with the jumping back and forth in time kind of thing. Uh, and yeah. now, now Doug Lyman is a huge director who's doing like sci-fi movies with Tom Cruise. Um, but yeah, he... Um, I think his first movie was Swingers, right? Yeah, I think his his first movie was Swingers, and uh, but the soundtrack for Go is terrible. It's just all fucking mid '90s techno shit that no one should ever listen to under any circumstances. But yeah, the point but I was this de- is a yeah the setup. Uh... And the close of the show, you know they say how he rips off. I mean, the way that uh, Karen Kelly uses music, which we'll definitely get into next week, like uh, his use of Now You're All Alone from uh, Last House on the Left. The, the, film, yeah. the song wasn't written for that movie, but by God, it fucking fits just like a glove. There yeah. Seen it used in. Yeah. And that uh, thing, you can't uh, get a Tarantino movie where the music doesn't fit like a glove, and that's why we picked our pick. Uh, would you think that a song about? Well, we talked about earlier about how the hateful eight is pretty much repurposed music from the fucking thing that turns that. Uh, Carpenter getting used. Yeah, yeah. And that's why that's why I said that, you know, yeah, you you don't just get a, a the thing vibe from the hateful eight. I mean it the vibe is, is right there. I mean Tarantino's laying it at your feet. He's like, Yep, this movie is my interpretation of the thing. You know, like he—he's telling it to you the right there. The show, which was the first of this, this was like a something I did that. Uh, we'll see if it's still on here. I think it is. The show. It's like I took the main song from the thing, and the main song from. Uh, Uh, the Hateful Eight, and just mashed them together, and it just sounds perfect. Nice. Uh, I have not heard that. Well, it's something I did myself. Oops, you did it again. Okay. And we'll see you next week, and I think this is it. Now here it is.
Windows. Hates being a radio operator. Hates being here. Can't wait to get back to the States. McCready, a top helicopter pilot.
together. Yeah, I mean, it's like he uh, did that. He uh, That looks like part of the main scene that he was stripped out the part that Morricone didn't use and then took a hit and left off the part that uh, he did use. Yeah. But we'll get into that next week. And thank you all for listening, and thank you for putting up with my crap again this week, Nate. <laughs> Thank you for putting up with my crap again this week. Uh, uh, we Hell love no, the if you're ever sober on the show again, I'll kick the shit out of you, tongue. <laughs> when you're sober, uh, you're like nervous and shit, and you're like, oh, God, if you fucking sober, God damn it. Yeah, I should have smoked more weed and got a little more drunk before the show, but. No, I'm a professional, man. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. I'll, 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 I'll say my goodbyes. Thanks to everyone for listening. And uh, we're, we're in the home stretch now. So please keep washing your hands and wearing a mask. We love you. Thanks for listening. Peace out, everybody. Good night.